We welcome you to the Wits End Podcast with Jonathan Marshall and George Antonios. Great to be back with you again here in Ohio. We are we are enjoying some very cold temperatures and some snow on the ground. How about there in Montreal? Cold temperatures. What's that for you guys? Sixty Fahrenheit? Is oh, for cold? Pete's sake! <laughs> we were down. We were down to. I think. Uh, where does Celsius and Fahrenheit meet? At zero? No. Minus forty. Okay. Well, we weren't there, but we were at. Uh, Minus two or three um, on Sunday and Monday for us, and okay. oh, we're back cold. up to. I think we're back up to the twenties now, so we're doing okay. We're hanging in there. We had we had uh, some exciting times Sunday. Um, we met in our gymnasium because our heating units were down, but man, it was great. The singing was great, great spirit. A lot of visitors had a great time, but uh, it makes you realize what um, what it means to have a. a a room that's designed for meeting. Mm. Um, it changes everything. So it's been a blessing. How about you guys? Yeah, no, it's been good. Actually, the winter is, is, has been pretty clement. We had a snowstorm last week, but otherwise it's, it's cold. For us, it's cold uh, after minus 20 degrees Celsius, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. Mm. What is Fahrenheit to Celsius? Uh, times plus 32 times five ninths or something like that. Uh, convert Celsius to Fahrenheit. So let's see. The temperatures right now where we are are about minus 15. So it would be 5 Fahrenheit. Oh, okay. That's pretty cold. Yeah. That's pretty cold. Nothing compared to the coldness of the hearts there and particularly some of the believers that I know there in the Hope Baptist Church. Yeah. <laughs> Their hearts are. Well, the Lord frigid. said, I would that were cold or hot. So we're That's on the right. cold side. You know, so we chose to be cold. He <laughs> That's said. it. Uh, we're not it. lukewarm like you guys. <laughs> oh, 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 man. We're the not mug lumps. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do have one other piece of information I got to tell you about over the, over the weekend. Um, my daughter in law gave birth to our first grandchild, Rosie Juliet Marshall, my son John. And his wife, Lucy, have that gave birth to their, she gave birth to their first child. We're really <laughs> excited about that. Um, That's so cool. Congratulations, one, it's the And it's the first great-grandchild, Marshall, hmm. uh, in our family. So uh, she won't stay Marshall forever. You know, um, uh, I, I guess I would say, uh, what's the word? Well, she might, she might marry a Marshall. Oh, that's true. Hmm. Hmm. Presumably, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, but either way, we're we're happy. My wife just she just stares at her and loves her, holds her, and oh, looks at her cute. and stares at her. So it's really cool. <laughs> we're excited about that. Um, okay, so before we jump into um, the uh, running commentary, we've got to we're going to turn to the mailbag and look at the witsendguys at gmail.com mailbag. If you're interested, you can email us there, witsendguys at gmail.com. Here is a question from Todd Entman, missionary, missionary member from our church. And he says this, Hey guys, I was reading through Ezekiel and it's a challenging book, but you read it yeah. because it's the word of God. And someday you anticipate it will begin to make sense. Yeah. Nevertheless, I'm reading through Ezekiel 28 and suddenly I wake up because I'm like, okay, I know what this is talking about. It's talking about Satan. It's like an origin story. Pastor John will often ask regarding a verse. Okay, who is this talking to? So I answered that question regarding these verses, and I see that it's talking to the Prince of Tyrus. So now I'm confused because this passage is clearly describing Satan, as I know Satan, but it is clearly addressed to the Prince of Tyrus. Can you please shed some light on this 
her on this verse, your humble servant, Tadas Delano Entenman. I don't know if that's his real name, Tadas. <laughs> With two D's, brother Todd's a blessing. Hey, brother Todd, he he's a crazy man. <laughs> wow, well, I hope that's his real name. That'd be really Tottis. cool. Wow, mm. that's crazy. Okay, so he's addressing uh, the Prince of Tyrus, but he's also addressing Satan. And my mind immediately goes to when Jesus said to Peter, uh, "Get thee behind me, Satan." Oh yeah. That's He's good. talking to Peter, but he is addressing Satan behind him. And uh, what does your what what do, what comes to mind for you? That's excellent. That's that's the easiest to go to there. What you did, that's cool. Uh, my mind goes to Daniel chapter ten, where Gabriel is talking to the prophet Daniel, and he tells him uh, that as soon as his prayer, his supplication had gone out, he was sent to answer his prayer. But on his way, he's intercepted. And then he says in Daniel 10, 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one in 20 days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. And I remained there with the kings, plural, of Persia. There was a human king of Persia the day that uh, I think this was in Cyrus's year. Yeah, that Daniel is serving. And then later on, uh, Gabriel again tells him, uh, now will I return so he's with Daniel. He's talking to Daniel. He says, but I will return to fight with the fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grisha shall come. And so uh, the prince of Persia withstands Gabriel for 21 days. So there's no way that's a human prince of Persia. And so it's like just you said, the Lord is addressing um, Satan. Well, there's a prince of Persia. Uh, there's a prince of Tyrus and a king of Tyrus. In Ezekiel 28, there's both. And so he's addressing really the angelic rulers that stand behind the human rulers. Hmm through the human rulers right so you have you have both yeah and obviously uh the spiritual reality is the first foremost reality and the physical or human reality is secondary we have it backwards because we're human and we look at the spirit realm from afar but um but either way hmm. both of them are legitimate they're both legitimate and so here's prince of tyrus and and uh, and Satan himself using him, and uh, Satan hath desired yep. to have you that he may sift you as wheat, and uh, he uses like he uses in Genesis three, yeah, the serpent is there, and God says to the serpent, but it was mm -hmm. not simply a physical animal; it was Satan in the serpent that he's he's uh, addressing. Right. The same thing happens soon in the next chapter, right after Ezekiel twenty eight, and Ezekiel twenty nine. He's addressing Pharaoh and verse three, <clears throat> behold, I am against the Pharaoh king of Egypt. Then he says, the great dragon that lieth in the midst of his rivers, which hath said my rivers, mine own. So he shifts his speaking of um, Pharaoh as the dragon, the antichrist. Hmm. Those are the, there's an actual kingdom of Persia in the spiritual realm that overrules the physical um, kingdom of Persia here. And there's an angelic prince of Persia and of Egypt, and they overrule the human of the human elements so it's just as you said the lord is addressing satan through peter it's sad for us as a lebanese because it's the king of tyrus <laughs> lucifer's versus field and tyrus is one of the main cities in lebanon so mm. it doesn't bode well for us you know and that is the same uh tyre and sidon mm -hmm. yeah there i mean mm. there was part of the city part of the city was an island it was built in the midst of the sea and it was disconnected from the mainland except uh, well through boats 
eventually I think Alexander the Great built a ramp to conquer it. Nebuchadnezzar had conquered it before him, but not fully. And uh, with time, there's been so much debris from the destruction of the tires that's in the sea that the debris eventually, um, there was enough of accumulation of debris to to just connect the mainland with the island out in the sea. Hmm. So you know, it's gone. That's, that's interesting um, because what is the the city the the you know the city of, the fabled city of Atlantis Atlantis yeah the myth mythical city and I had read somewhere that it was based on possibly on Tyrus or or vice versa or something like that had you ever seen a connection with yeah. that yeah yeah I mean Ezekiel is writing those prophecies in what 580 BC Plato's a couple of hundred years after that I think though the from the descriptions odds are. They're describing something that existed before the flood. I mean, there, you know, prophecies pattern. So you see the same patterns of destructions over and over again. And Tyrus might just be just another pattern of what happened to the pre-flood civilization because the dimensions that are given of um, Atlantis are, I think, equal something like the size of North America. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. And I've often wondered about that. You know, the 70s... Three, 73% of the of the Earth's surface is water, mm -hmm. something like that. Mm -hmm. And I've often wondered if that was God's original intent to have mm. the entire thing, you know, three quarters of it covered by water. Sure. Yeah, I don't doesn't, think so. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't seem to make sense, but. No, it doesn't. That's the flood of uh, Noah. Um, and those waters will be, uh, um, I'm not sure what the verb is, but they will be recovered. Recede? You know, the, the waters will recede? or Yeah. Yeah, even the Mediterranean Sea, even even the you know secular scientists uh, say that uh, the Mediterranean Sea was actually dry basin before, so something caused it. And imagine the 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 bottom of the Pacific and the Atlantic being land crisscrossed by rivers, of course. But that's amazing. It's you know you got a population that lives the days of the as the days of a tree are the days of my people. Lord says in Millennium, an old man dies at a hundred years old. You got this for a thousand years. You're gonna populate. You're gonna populate that thing pretty quickly with with a very low mortality rate. No no wars, no deaths by famine, no deaths by disease. That's something. So and it stands to reason that uh, we'd have that as an occupiable space. Um, and and that also would presumably go in concert with the geographical topographical changes. Uh, mm -hmm. With the with the millennium, where the, the Lord said, "All hills shall flow unto the Mount of of Zion," right? Right. Mount Zion, um, nothing higher than Mount Zion, right? And I wonder yeah, what be if new... that's going to be the major earthquakes and the tribulation, and or yeah, if that's there's... all part of the renovation. Both one can lead to the other. Yeah, there's definitely major type of topographical changes that are coming. It's I mean, it's called a new Earth. Um, <clears throat> There've been there's a project called 20, 2030. Uh, they were trying to map out the topography of the ocean floor around the world. We've only mapped out so a few years ago we were at like five percent, which is pathetic. We know nothing about the ocean floor. I mean nothing, especially when you think of imagine like the Earth's surface. We haven't explored that fully yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we think we have, but we haven't. Like the Amazon is essentially undiscovered still. So this is like two dimensional space, really, right? But, uh, you know, okay, you got the mountains, so that plays into it. But the ocean floor, the ocean is 3D, and 73% of the earth is covered, or 77, whatever it is with water. It's amazing. And what they're doing is 
when you go to Google Earth, you see topographical lines of the seafloor, but those are that's pretty much guesswork. So now there's more advanced sonars, and they're trying to map map it out. We're at twenty percent now. Of course, uh, China and Russia aren't going to tell us what the ocean floor looks like around them. So there's a bit of a blockage there politically for the scientific community to map out the ocean floor. But one of the ways they do it, and I think it's it's so cool, and you guys can try this if you're at a certain elevation. There's a couple, other than the sonars, because of the way gravity functions, the the ocean, the surface of the ocean reflects the topography of the ocean floor. Really? So if you're, yeah. So if you're on top of the ocean, like if there's a dip in the ocean floor, then there's going to be a, a slight dip uh, in the corresponding area above it in the ocean water level. And if there's no, a mountain, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. And if there's there's like a mountain on the ocean floor, then that section of the of the surface of uh, water surface will be will be elevated. What? Yeah, they fly I... over it and they read that with, with with satellites. They read the differences in water level and that gives you a reflective picture of what the ocean floor is like. So that's in uh, Project 2030? Yeah, it's Project 2030 is with sonars. They're using more advanced sonars that have a wider range. But the basic technique is that, I mean, the, they, the Americans and the British were mapping it out like in the 50s. A lady is the one that drew out uh, a lot of those maps. And that's, that was the, that's the the step one of, of uh, the technology is just, you can visually, now we do it with GPS, but you can, if you're at a certain elevation and you see like, I don't know if you could see it, but if you can see like the water dipping, that means that even if it's like a, 10 kilometers below it, the ocean floor dips at that point. Hmm. It's, man, it's, it's, I think I was telling you, man, the Lord is so cool. Well, you know, I was uh, thinking about the, what the Lord calls um, the regeneration uh the renovation of the earth during the millennium and uh it came it came across i came across this while studying revelation we're going through revelation uh on wednesday nights at here in at uh, hope baptist in toledo and we're, i think we're on just finished lesson 64 and we're going pretty wow. pretty slow um but there's so much so much to learn sure. and grow and and so one of the things is that the uh the vial I think it's the fourth vial that is uh, is poured out on the sun and it scorches men. And what's interesting, though, is that in the millennium, the sun is going to be mm. sevenfold. So it's almost like the Lord pre is preempting that. But even in that judgment, there is a sign mm. of good things to come. But the Earth's mm. atmosphere hasn't caught up with the ability yeah, to digest that much sunlight. But can you imagine Love having... It. You know, so. that much sunlight when you, let's say you put plants out and it's seven, they're growing seven wow. times faster than they would have wow. because of the sun exposure. Uh, so it. it's a terrible thing without, mm. it's basically judgment without Jesus Christ. Like if you don't have Christ, if you don't worship him, the judgment is sevenfold. But with him, the blessing is sevenfold. Sevenfold. So cool. Yeah. And you can imagine what the Lord, you know, the changes yeah. that he's going to make in how do we get on this thing again? Ezekiel 28. Know. We're yeah. way off, man. <laughs> Sorry way off. <laughs> okay. Now that's an easy one. I'll throw you a little more of a curveball. Oh man. David Deering. Um, and this is this is another guy from Hope Baptist. See, we we have listeners. They're all from our churches. <laughs> <laughs> we pay them um, to write questions. <laughs> yes, we do. We're like, we'll send you, you the 50 bucks later, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So he, a couple things he said he'd like an episode on, or maybe an explanation is, and they, you can tell me if you want to do a, 
a breakout or whatever. One, he says, Brother Antonio occasionally mentions that he believes there are female angels. And then uh, I like to hear his thoughts on that. Also, the Giants. <laughs> he just throws the Giants in there as part of that <laughs> sentence. And then also, I'd like to hear your thoughts on a seven-year versus three-and-a-half-year um, se- Daniel 70th week. And so he said, I know Brother Antonio is working on that book. So there are a couple of major ones. If you want to take one now, yeah. uh, one later, that's fine. Or we can do another episode completely. Okay, however you want. But going backwards, I'll hit them quickly. Uh, if we go backwards from that, the book is finished. I'm looking for a typesetter. Uh, Theo Vox is, is uh, once they told me they want to read the book and, and they might want to publish it. I don't know. This is in Quebec. But if you guys know a typesetter is really what I need right now. The, the editing is done. The proofreading is done for DC and Daniel. So there's that. Uh, three and a half. This is his book so, on Daniel, by the way. Dealing yeah. Daniel. Right. Uh, as far as the three and a half for seven years. So Brother Donovan uh, kind of came up with that some years back while Dr. Ackman was still on the earth. And <clears throat> so I think what what uh, one of the th- what Brother Donovan is seeing when he says that the tribulation is only three and a half, you know, I think he's tech. Okay. So technically he's correct. Technically. Okay. What he's seeing is what could have been when he says that Judas Iscariot is the antichrist. And the first three and a half years were the, the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's seeing what could have been and counting it as if it was, but it wasn't. It's just like with John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist was supposed to be Elijah, but given Israel's reaction, the Lord changes from telling them, if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was for to come. Then they reject him and he switches in chapter 17 saying, no, you know what? Elijah is going to actually have to come. And so if Israel had received the Lord and done what they were supposed to do, then the three and a half years would have counted as the first half of the seven years. And uh, and then you would have another three and a half remaining. But it, that didn't happen. So you still have a seven years of Daniel's 70th week. Now, the tribulation specifically is a reference to the last half. But what we forget, what Brother Donovan seems to forget, if I understand him correctly, is the beginning of sorrows. He forgets that. So he says, see, there's just three and a half years of peace and then three and a half years of trouble and nothing more. Well, he's right in saying that it's only three and a half years of trouble and before that's three and a half years of peace. But what he seems to forget is there's the pattern, the eschatological pattern after our rapture is not peace, then trouble. It's trouble, beginning of sorrows, then peace, then trouble. And Matthew Crane from Final Fight Radio, he picks up on that. He he realizes that the beginning of sorrows was forgotten for the Donovan. And so he tries to work that in. Now, I disagree with the way he works it in, but we both see that the beginning of sorrows was forgotten. So what I believe happens is we get raptured. There's a gap. Um, the beginning of sorrows begins. And then after that, after the beginning of sorrows, Daniel's 70th week is signed. The, the trouble ceases for three and a half years and starts again for three and a half, which is the tribulation. So there's an overall trouble. It's trouble, peace, trouble. And then for the female giants, uh, yeah, I believe I, I don't, I'm not I don't go out there and teach it dogmatically. Female angels. Uh, female angels. Sorry. Yeah. What did I say? Female giants. Hey, I'm up female for that giants, too. Yeah. Let, let, let's talk about that. <laughs> well, there could have been. There could have been. So when the Bible talks about sons of God coming down and taking the daughters of women, that doesn't necessarily mean that there were no female daughters of God that came down and did the same thing with men. 
And you see that in the scriptures often where, you know, this, it'll talk about the sons of Israel sinning, but you, we know that the females were also sinning in there. It talks about men, but we know, you know, that women are also included. Um, and then you've got Zechariah. So all, all of them, I have a video about it that I could answer it faster. So you can go check the video about it. But there is there, the, the concept of there not being um, female angels is negated by Zechariah chapter five, where you have the angels there, the, the, the women with wings of a stork. Uh, and then Dr. Ruckman gets to that and he says, well, there are no female angels. So we know those are not female angels. But that is a classic case of begging the question. It, that's called the fallacy of assuming the premise. Because the whole question is, is Zechariah 5 female angels? You can't come to it with already having decided there are no scriptures that talk about female angels. And then you come to Zechariah 5 and you decide, well, that can't be it. Because Zechariah 5 is part of the category of scriptures that you must consider before making the statement, there are no female angels. And if Zechariah 5 is talking about female angels, then you cannot make the statement the scriptures say there are no female angels. So you can't assume the premise before you get to Zechariah 5. Zechariah 5 must be integrated in your inductive process before you reach your conclusion. Uh, so you got you got that. And then um, you got the, the argument. People say, he says, every interaction with angels, uh, they're always men. So that means they're just men, which I mentioned last time. That's faulty logic. Uh, first of all, the interaction with angels are very few in the Bible. And that is the equivalent of somebody being stuck in Nazi Germany and every contact they've ever had was with American GI Joes who are trying to deliver them in alien territory, in Nazi territory. And then you derive from that the thinking of, well, all Americans must be males because all the American soldiers that are showing up and we're interacting with here while imprisoned Nazi Germany are males. Therefore, all Americans are males. That, that doesn't make sense. Angels are sent here. This is enemy territory. They have to traverse the heavens. You saw how Gabriel is stopped by the prince of the kingdom of Persia. So the angels that are sent here are sent on a very dangerous mission. There's a real battle going on. And if there is gender uh, differences in roles for mankind, and if this is a reflection of the reality of heaven, then you would expect that there are role differences between angels, between male and female angels, and that the elite angels who are sent as soldiers to communicate to us on earth would be statistically biased to be all males. That's the long and short of it. Right. Okay, so I'll... I'll... I'll give the other side of it just for a moment. It also doesn't say that they don't ride bicycles. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it, so in other words, to say, well, the Bible describes, you know, every interaction as males, that doesn't mean they're all males. Uh, but it also doesn't preclude the fact that they could be all males. And if, if you take just those interactions, just those right. interactions. So Correct. what you're saying is Zechariah 5 would could possibly be a female angel, even though it doesn't use technically doesn't use that it use women with wings and they're flying. Now I've heard some refer to this as, um, you know, basically alien life form, uh, you know, alien life forms people think are some species from outside uh, out in the universe when anything that's out there was created by God. And so it's going to have to be something, some type of being that is not human, which means, you know, man was made a little lower than the angels. So if there's any kind of superiority at all, it's going to be some, some type of angel in the angelic realm. Um, it's not an, like a evolved human or something. So who is this? Who are these women? 
that have wings like a stork. And uh, that's that's where you have to kind of look at. And I've heard people talk about, you know, you got the flying roll, which would would connect with um, a UFO, you know, of some kind. And then you've got the base there in verse 11. Yeah. And, you know, of course, all that stuff can can definitely fit uh, in that unidentified species. Uh, we don't see them. We don't know what they're like. And, of course, we know that Satan uh, is transformed into an angel of light and his ministers as ministers of righteousness. So um, that I, the ability to change form um, seems to be there with the angelic angelic creatures as well. The ability to become a form, um, just like Jesus. He came down, he took upon him the form of a servant made in the likeness of men. Uh, the ability to assume a shape seems to be there. Uh, so I think, uh, do you have any other references for female angels? I've got, I mean, I've got a video on it. It's, um, I mean, to balance things out, sometimes the Bible talks about men and we read that as angels. So if, if, um, and it's true, it's a good point to make. If it says two, but if it says two women, not angels, and we can't count that as angels, and that's very well possible. We must also do that for when the Bible talk, just talks about men and not read those as angels because it says men. But uh, you'll see Dr. Ruckman count them as angels when it says men and then not count them as angels because it says women. So, you know, there, there's got to be consistency there uh, in doing so. But mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Really, the, the point of what I say is, is to be careful about um, jumping to conclusions when all the angles haven't been fully um, considered. Like one of the things that you can show conclusively is that they do have wings <clears throat> that there's that's that's relatively easy to show and so they're not wingless so um they are the the cherub so many times the term angel is used in the bible as an umbrella term in describing all the host of heaven it'll say like the angels of god worship him for example let all the angels of god worship him in hebrews right um quoting the old testament all right um and we see cherubim and seraphim in Revelation 4, worshiping God. The, when it says, let all the angels of God worship him, if the angel and if the cherubim and the seraphim are not angels, then the commandment excludes them and they are not commanded to worship him. But angel there is obviously an umbrella term that would include the cherubim and the seraphim. Well, that makes the cherubim and seraphim angels. The Bible specifically tells us that the cherubim and seraphim have wings. Therefore, angels have wings. And so just because they appear wingless, so like, you know, Dr. Akami says in every interaction, they're, they're, they appear wingless. And so therefore, so I'm, I'm just pointing out the faulty thinking. So he says in every interaction, they're wingless. So they must be wingless. Well, the, the Bible also says they're a flame of fire and spirit, but they don't appear as a flame of fire when they're talking to people. So if I'm going to go by the same kind of logic, I, I would say in every interaction, they're not a flame of fire. Therefore, angels are not a flame of fire. And yet there's a verse telling me they are a flame of fire. And as you mentioned, they're able to change forms. And if so, if they're able, able to change forms and appear as non-fire being that can be perceived as human, where Manoah's wife is not sure if the guy she's dealing with is an angel or a man, right? Same thing with the two at the tomb, then they can also appear wingless. You're on mute. Oh, there we go. Uh, so they appear as men, which is what an angel is, an appearance. Um, and so I think when, when, when I, will, I will give you a side note for study. So if you're listening to this and you're like, wait, no, that can't be right. Okay. One thing I would caution you against is 
never take up and, and I probably live to regret this because <laughs> wait, I may, I may one day get one follower and I'll want my follower to follow me to the end of the earth, but n- never take up for someone, uh, because you like them when it comes to things of God. So one of the things we do on this podcast is, is equal opportunity offending. And some of the things yeah. that, that George says will offend me and I'm, and, and I'm sure vice versa not intentionally, but one of the reasons why we, we wanted to do a podcast together is because we said, let God be true and every man a liar. Uh, it doesn't matter what I think or what the guy that taught me says or what the school where I went to or my dad went to, what they've you know, traditionally taught. People say this all the time. Well, I was always taught that as if that holds any bearing because mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what you were always taught. Ultimately, it matters what does the Bible say? And so, uh, when you get into these issues, uh, there, there can be room for disagreement, but there can be no room for extra facts. No one gets to mm-hmm. have their own facts. The facts are the words of God. It's what they say. Now, how you take that, and there can be different meanings sometimes to words, uh, but not as many as people think when you compare spiritual things with spiritual. The problem is, the hard thing is to readjust or redefine or refine your position after someone introduces another Bible verse into your thinking. That is the hardest thing because it's one thing to say, Oh, it's this. It's always this. No question about it. But then someone says, well, what about these words? Oh, that doesn't matter. Well, if we're not careful, we can start defending our own thesis or own platform rather than the words of God. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's important here. I mean, really it's, is it, how important is it if there are female angels or not, and if they have wings or not, you know, it's like the proverbial, uh, uh, well, I don't know if it's proverbial. I think it really did happen in the medieval times. At some point, some monks were like debating how many, it, what amounted to how many angels can stand on the head of a, a needle, right? So it's really mm-hmm. not important. But it, it here, what, what's more important here is the, just the exercise of like expanding your way of thinking and, and realizing that sometimes there's, there's angles that were not considered in formulating uh, an opinion. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not it's not an important uh, doctrine so i just have fun with it it's a way to challenge us a little bit and uh you know i don't care either way i'll do although i'll do say if i get up to heaven and it's only a bunch of males um you know if it's like the village you know the village people i get there i i, I don't know <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> i don't know about you guys man but i'm not excited when the bible says you're come to an innumerable company of angels i'm going to show up there and sell a bunch of guys i got a dear friend sean mcclellan in the church he's been a old good friend for years He's like, I don't get you guys. Everybody talks about wanting to go to heaven and they want to meet Isaiah and they want to meet like Paul and they want to meet, you know, Mordecai. He's like, I want to meet the ladies. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I want to meet Esther and the beauty queen. I want to meet is this man Sarah married? And... Yeah, he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Happily is his married. Wife in... Is his oh, wife yeah, yeah. In the She's room? right there and she giggles okay. along with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're just a sweet couple. She's one of the sweetest Christian ladies I know, his wife. So, well, it's, you know, it's, it's interesting. All... <laughs> I've been thinking about this. Um, uh, you know, masculinity is important and, but, but is masculinity in a human masculinity, well, we're way off topic now, is human masculinity equal to divinity? In other words, the more masculine a guy is, the more Christ-like he is? I mean, not in absolute terms. And, and the know. only reason I ask that is because I do think, um, I do think that masculinity is important, obviously. Uh, I'm a man, 
And so I'm going to magnify my office, you know, in that sense. <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I think it's, it's important to think about, you know, because what, what happens in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, uh, which means to be Christ-like is to make a person a better man, a better woman, while at the same time, one in Christ Jesus, not sexless, but not androgynous, but... Um, but 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 Christ-like, not not just human qualities, but divine qualities. You know, we're partakers of the divine nature through the Amen. promises given to us. And uh, so I, I guess I, I've been thinking about that recently. You know, I, I thought about, well, we, obviously we know the Lord has definite uh, roles set up according to gender, yeah, specifically in the home and leadership and in the church and so forth. Those things are obvious. And, uh, you know, we don't want to send women out to fight battles that men should be fighting. And we know that women, uh, the part of the curse of Israel was that women would rule over them and children, right? In other words, they didn't have any masculine leadership. God, God emphasizes that throughout time. But I, I sometimes wonder if we understand the role of gender in the proper way, um, not that there is no difference in gender, but that to be Christ-like, transcends gender it's not just about yeah. a guy who yeah. chews tobacco and shoots a shotgun right. um that he is somehow a better human because of that yeah yeah well i mean and already so you can always even have a, like a false definition of masculinity to begin with uh and then discuss whether real masculinity is equivalent to divinity but the, in every grain of heresy there is some truth so mm -hmm. maybe some people that have gone to the whole uh, gender fluid route it's mm -hmm. a counter reaction to an overbearingness on the other side mm. now i'm not i'm not saying that to justify going the gender fluid route there is no justification for that there just isn't be but be both of them can, are wrong is what you're saying yeah right yeah people can be offended i mean that's a biblical truth the lord warns us about offending somebody uh, you know song of solomon twice it's talking about the lord and it says he feedeth among the lilies uh, you know i mean that that's not that's not the first picture of masculinity you get in your mind right but there's the lord jesus christ he's among uh, flowers and he's you know, picking up flowers i mean hmm. god created flowers that's an expression of what's in him so when the world talks about getting in touch with your feminine side that is a perversion built on a partial truth because for god to create eve in his because eve was also in his image and likeness mm -hmm. now we are, the woman is the image of the man Paul tells us the man is the image of God and the glory of God. But in Genesis 1, when it talks about likeness, like it's also, he, the Lord and Moses all says that the woman is also. Let us make hmm. man in our image, you know, and, and male and female created he, them. Hmm. Which means that there is, those feminine attributes are present in God. He talks in Isaiah about comforting uh, the mourners as a woman comforts her son. He talks about dandling, dandling them upon his knees like a woman dandles a son on her knees. Mm -hmm. That's the Lord speaking of himself in feminine terms. And I thank God that's part of him. He's definitely a man. I mean, that that is clear. He's not androgynous. That's satanic. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think maybe if we present a, a more biblical description of what real manhood is, then we would lose less people to this madness. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting thought. Um, I remember years ago, the verse was was said, it, you know, men should be doing the dishes as, you know, there's the Lord 
in Second Kings 21, where he says, I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipeth wipe a dish, a dish yeah. wiping it and turning it upside down. <laughs> there it is. The Lord does the dishes. That's it. <laughs> it's like, and he brews the coffee, right? Because it says he brews. He brews. Amen. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a lot of good in that. And I think we talked about this a while ago. The Lord has the ability to have knowledge of evil without being corrupted by it. Mm. The Lord is the, the he is the uh, the glory of the man. He is the glory of the woman. That's where it comes from. Any glory that we have comes from God. And, you know, he says the, the flower fadeth, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Uh, anything that a man has or the woman has that is beautiful. Here's the danger. When a man envies a woman's femininity, that's where it becomes satanic. Because the Lord made them male and female. If if a if a woman envies the the characteristics of a man, that's where it starts getting sinful. That's that's sin, satanic, and uh, the Lord the Lord is able to have both of those characteristics in the sense that He's the one that created them, but He is, um, He is, you know, He's God. We're not. Yeah. So well, speaking that, of knowledge of, I think that's perfect. A, a joiner to a perfect setup. This is a yeah, segue. That's, that's great. All it was. That's all of this. It was planned that way from the very beginning. Uh, it's in Genesis chapter three, five. That's where Satan offers up, offers knowledge. Really, he says, "For God doth know that if they eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." <clears throat> and the first thing he tells her is, "Your eyes shall be opened, knowing." And uh, Hinduism, Eastern mysticism speaks about the illuminated ones as having their third eye opened. You know, they're, they're, they, they call us uh, third eye blind. You know, to talk about the, what, I think, what is, it, what is it over here in the, in the frontal, over in the front of the brain, the, the pineal gland? I don't know. Mm -hmm. my, my, my cousin is the neurosurgeon. Uh, that's a third eye. I mean, so there's a half truth to it because they, she did get to know, um, have the knowledge of good and evil. But so that shows you that the idea of having your third eye opened is the serpentine is a serpentine doctrine, and that is and I, why they have um, the Hindu ladies have a dot on their forehead. From what I yeah, understand, no, well, from it it uh, it um, it sig signals that she's married, if I'm not mistaken. But you could ask the question, yeah, why is it a dot on the forehead? I wonder if there would be a connection there. Uh, from what I've read, I think there is a connection. Uh, okay. With the third eye, but I, I, um, I'm not a Hindu, nor the son of a Hindu. <laughs> That's good. So maybe you guys can tell us more about that. But you know what I thought is is really a, a fascinating. Uh, in the physical world, the there's some amphibians and reptiles, which are a figure of the devil. They have a, a what's known as a third eye. In, in science, it's called the parietal eye or pineal eye, and it's photoreceptive. Here, it's a gland in there. That acts like a third eye and it's photoreceptive, so it detects light. But the light, but the only light, uh, um, so, so it, it get it, it receives light. It can detect light. And it's a third eye, and the Lord talks about um, that the only light you'll receive upon the opening of your third eye. He talks about dark light. Remember in Luke chapter eleven, I was found that interesting. He says, "If the light which is in thee." Uh, is dark. Let me, what, how does he say that? Luke chapter 11? It's light which is in the be darkness. Yeah. So there's a light that's a darkness. There's a dark light. And that's a light. So 
there is light is knowledge whatsoever maketh manifest is light and so there is a, a dark knowledge and you know that's connected to lucifer the former light bearer and so in genesis 3 5 when satan says your eyes shall be opened knowing cue the mystery religions you know catholicism with their secrets and their sacraments the knights of columbus you know knights of malta knights of mary third eye illumination buddhism hinduism rosicrucians Mandaeans, Druze, Freemasons, Shriners, Illuminati, Skull and Bones, all, all, all the stuff that's kind of like secret esoteric knowledge, of, um, Greek philosophy, Platonism, where you don't have access unless you're an initiated one. This stuff is essentially satanic because it's a secret doctrine. Madame Blavatsky and the secret doctrine that is offered to only a few. So those those guys who are part of those secret societies who think they are the enlightened ones the illuminati are in effect they are getting light but it's a dark light so they're stuck mm. in genesis chapter uh they're stuck over they're still stuck over in genesis 3 7 where the eyes of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and with no redemption to follow the serpent drew eve with the classic are you in the know you know like do you know and, and secret you know society. what, you're, yeah, what you're saying i wanted to jump in real quick because i know sure. you have more to say but the, but uh, we talk about Gnostic religion, and I've always wondered about that. Um, Gnostic, Gnostic, what is that? Well, the G is silent, G-N-O. And it's the same word that we have in English for knowledge. No, the K is silent. Right. So that that's if you're good. wondering where the knowledge, what is that Gnostic, it's Gnostic knowledge, that's what it is. Etymologically speaking, that's those. that's where it comes from. Right. C comes from and the GNO. Correct. That's very good the co correlation with the uh, with the English wording. And it's it's this idea that there's a secret law knowledge that is available to only a few and that you attain some form of godhood through knowledge and only knowledge. There's no question here of blood redemption, there's no forgiveness of sins, there's no justification. It's simply attaining receiving some kind of special knowledge that's that's what gnosticism is essentially <clears throat> and that's how and so the, that's how all that stuff starts right somebody comes mm -hmm. along and knows more comes down and teaches people but it's only for that person i.e moroni and joseph smith to write mm -hmm. the receive the golden plates and right. the emerald glasses so he can interpret them the, <laughs> um the emerald glasses and the, and also a happy meal. He, he he had a happy meal that went with that, and it was all connected together. I'm just kidding. It's like you can throw anything you want in there. <laughs> That's like, funny, you know. And he had a, a rubber band that kept everything together. That's <laughs> sounds like it's the beginning like, of a new religion. Yeah, well, it's it's like uh, it's no different from the uh, Masons, uh, secret initiations. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you have these secret signs, things that you can't know. That's certain right. People know. Yeah. And the G um, in their sign, the G is in their sign stands for, for gnosis, for knowledge, not for God, like is commonly thought. By the way, you're, you're talking about the rubber band and the silliness of it. And I'm saying it's, it sounds like the beginning of new religion. In Quebec, there's a registered religion called Jeannette Durady. Uh, Jeannette is the, the woman. Her name is Jeannette. So basically Jean and Duradi of the Radish. And so uh, now I got a friend who saved, who went to a meaning of that religion. 
because uh, he grew up in, in church and he wanted to kind of find out other religions and know for himself if he really believes for himself kind of a thing. And thank God he's still walking with the Lord. But he, he went to that and he told me, he says, there's about 200 people. And uh, this woman comes out and she places a radish on an, on an altar and people gather and worship the radish. And she's got 200 members just in Quebec. <laughs> 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 That's not... <laughs> I, you know. I think that's what we would that's when we would say got him got him <laughs> you can get incorporated oh my but that's veggie tales baby it's all about yeah. <laughs> it's about connecting the vegetables together that's oh good. my soul oh it's yeah. too much the g the gene freemasonry if you're part of the Freemasons, you need to know that it's for Gnosis. If it does stand for God, it stands for the God of the world, who blinded the minds of them which believe not. You know, the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ warns against kind of esoteric, limited uh, knowledge in Revelation chapter 2, 24. He says, but unto you I say, and unto the rest in Theatira, as many as have not, uh, as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden. So he's, he, the Lord Jesus commends uh, Theatrian believers who kept themselves from having, from knowing the depths of Satan. They, they kept themselves from a certain knowledge. And, and Satan may not have presented himself as openly as Satan to his adepts, but he presented some kind of secret knowledge. And the Lord commends the Christians not to be part of that. So I think a Christian has no business being part of things like that. I know a lot of people in the South, a lot of believers in the South, there's a lot of like people who are part of Freemasons and also go to church. Most people are not aware what they're a part of. For them, it's just, you know, something to get ahead, uh, yeah. connections. It's a nice Business social group. Yeah, my uncle was in it. You know, my grandfather was in it and they were Christian. And they, they don't see necessarily um, a contradiction between those two, being members of an actual church and uh, such a group. But if that's why the Lord warns against the depths of Satan, because... It's at the depths, you know. They, they mm -hmm. have it as a as a pyramid that you ascend, but in reality you're going down. And the deeper you go, you realize that the God that's being worshipped there is none else uh, but Lucifer. So, yeah, and, and that's a, that's a great yeah. point that you're making because I've known many many people who say, "I was in the Masons. I never saw anything. I never knew anything about that." Um, and that's obviously they have to have a the most. If you turn turn the pyramid upside down and make it a funnel they have to have constant a constant flow of people in to that's good bring them further initiation and so like the that. widest part of the funnel is going to be the mouth where everybody comes in and those are the people they have to have a, a ton um and so it it doesn't mean that it's not true that the further further you go in the more this stuff shows up I mean, this stuff is coming from somewhere but it's like a guy saying I don't know, man. I, I I don't know what they're doing there. I, I, I went to the Mormon church and, you know, we sang, we sang the same hymns we sing here. It's no big deal. I never saw anything. Well, yeah, of course, because you're never on the inside track. And um, there is a difference. There is a difference. So it's interesting. You know, the Lord said it's a shame to speak of the things that are done in secret. Um, hmm. and, and what's interesting is that the devil presents knowledge as light revealed in secret but whatsoever doth make manifest is light um 
it, it's like, well, you can't know the Lord. We go and 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 go with Him. Um, you can't you can't just know the Lord. You have to go out and in the deserts and know like, yeah, there's a certain thing. Be still and know that I am God. One on one to one with the Lord, but be careful of this thing of I've got this secret inside track with God. And sometimes people will say, let me show you something God showed me as if God never showed anybody else. And my thought is, wait a second. If God wrote it in his word, that thing has been available for thousands of years. And it's not that you don't have a, a secret inside track with God. You do just like every other believer does. Every other believer has inside track with his father. Uh, so Gnostic says it's only for a select few. And the Lord says it's for everybody. That's right. That's um, <clears throat> the Lord's defense when he's arrested. He says, I ever spoke op spake openly and I taught in the temple in the day. You know, it, it, he kind of, you know, remember the Lord Jesus, he tells his disciples, therefore whatsoever you have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light and that which you have spoken in the ear in clauses shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And then he tells mm -hmm. them, he also tells them in another passage, he says, what you have heard in the ear, that proclaim upon the housetops. And when they come to arrest him, he tells them, I was teaching in the temple. You're coming at night to arrest me like a thief. And then when they question him about his doctrine, there's, there's, he's so wise that he detects in the very question a built-in accusation. Because they, they gather him at night, they summon him at night, and ask the question, the, the Bible says they asked him of his doctrine. So, by you doing that, you're implying that you don't know my doctrine, which implies that I've been hiding my doctrine, which implies that I have something to hide, which implies that I'm doing something wrong. And so that's why the Lord, before he, before, I mean, he was, he almost answered nothing. If you, you know, like there's many things that he doesn't answer. Uh, only when he's pressed at the very end, he kind of says, I am, right? But that one he answers. When they ask him about the doctrine, he's like, why are you asking me about the doctrine? It's not like I've hidden my doctrine. I've spoken. And he says it again to them. He says, I've spoken openly. I haven't done anything that's secret or hidden. So as a Christian, we must be careful about anything that tells you that covers a covering and not of me, the, the prophet and the prophets, God says. Hmm. We've got nothing to hide. We're in the open. Now, we can be discreet. Sure. Right? Circumspect. Prudent. But there's no secret knowledge that we're hiding from people. There's nothing that's only accessible to those who are in the know. Uh, all heroes well, that wear masks are... There's no good hero that wears a mask, essentially. Go ahead. You want, you want to say? No, I, I, I think um, it, it is interesting that the, Jesus said, my doctrine is not mine, but him that sent me. Like, I'm not hiding something from you. I'm telling you what my father gave me. I'm giving it to you. But why is it that people want to say, I mean, the Lord did speak in parables that seeing they would not see and hearing they would not understand. He, he spoke unto, he gives them what they want. If they're after secret knowledge, then he gives them something that turns them upside down, like twists them around and causes them to be confused. And they walk away saying, who can understand this? If you're after the truth, he gives you the truth. It's like your heart determines what you get out of his word. And it, it doesn't determine what the word says, but you can walk up to the Bible and, and, and read it and walk away with your own private interpretation. Um, the Lord, it's like the Lord is forcing us out of the corners and out of the darkness into the light 
with other believers to have our hearts and minds challenged by his word, not our secret things that we talk about and nobody can know about. Uh, he speaks, he switches to parables after he had spoken to them for a long time plainly, right? And they reject the plain truth and then he he moves it, to, he switches into parables. So A, that, that was a judgment for their rejection of open truth. And and then the Bible says that the disciples came and asked him and he explains it to them. So, and it's all, I'm sure if anybody had come to him and said, Lord, can you explain the parable to me? I want to understand. He would have explained it to them. And so the the uh, the explanation was still available, right, to anybody that wanted. They just uh, sadly didn't want it. Hmm. That's a good point. So, I never thought about, about the fact that I know that he was giving it to those who did not believe, to the Pharisees, those who were rejecting him. But the idea that there were some that said, we, di we didn't understand, and he explained it to them. Because um, that's what Nicodemus did. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Right. right. And he said, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles without doing us, except God be with him. Uh, and then the Lord goes on to explain to him, and but he does say, art thou a master in Israel? And know us not these things. And it comes down to the way in which you approach the Lord. If you really want to know something from God, you're going to have to come humbly. Because otherwise, what you're doing is you're taking God on as a rival. You're saying, I can know what you know. I think a lot of young young believers get this way, particularly young men who, who are determined to know the Bible. If you're determined to know the Bible without knowing God, um, the God of the Bible... Mm, that's then good. You, you're no different than than Satan himself, who said, "I will be like the Most High," and that's what that's how he tempted Eve, saying, "Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil." You can you can be God's equal, and when you when you approach the Scripture that way, I want to I want to know God's book. I want to have want to have power with God. People say that you know I want to have power with God. What does that even mean? Power with God? That doesn't <laughs> that that doesn't sound very good. Um, I don't know. I I know what they're saying. I know, I know what they're saying, but there's a danger in that mindset. Power with God means I can get God to do things for me that I want him to do. And the danger of that is what if God, what if God wants to do something with you that maybe doesn't make you feel so hot? You know, by it, it was, it was, who was it that uh, had power with God by his strength? He had power with God. That was Jacob. And he took hold of his brother by the heel, and then he wrestled he wrestled with the angel, and the Lord touched his thigh. And yeah, there's a, there's a certain thing, there's a certain side of that I understand, but I don't know. I, I think maybe that side of it that's like a, you know, in Acts where the Apostle Paul wants to go to Jerusalem, and the Lord says no, and he's like, I'm going to get a hold of this thing. I, I think the, the answer you gave yourself at uh, when you preached in Texas, I was, I was looking at my notes in, in the Bible actually yesterday about that. I was reminded of that. <clears throat> you preached on, uh, uh, oh, where was it? Take heed to the ministry, which thou hast, or is it Colossians? At the end of Colossians 4, about the giver, the gift. And uh, you were saying the ministry is not the Lord, the Lord is not the ministry. Um which, by the way, is, is a point made by Samuel Rutherford in his letters and when he was uh, arrested in Great Britain. He says Ainsworth, his hometown was Ainsworth. He says, for Ainsworth is not heaven and preaching is not Christ. He was consoling himself, even though he had lost his beloved church and hometown and the ability to preach. It, you know, the ministry was not the Lord. He hadn't lost the Lord. And mm. then you say in that, 
uh, you know, why is it that you're not using the Lord? Be careful of not using the Lord as a means for your own objective in the ministry. So it, it comes down really to motivation. Like if you want power with God so you can glorify the Lord and preach the truth and see souls saved, that's one thing. And if, if I want power with the Lord so people can say, what a great preacher I am, or I have what a successful ministry I have, then I'm, I just, well, I know that I need God's power, but I want God's power for my own glory. So it comes down to your motivation. Hmm. Yeah. And that's why for me, I do think there is such a thing as, as desiring to do something like Phineas, who is, his zeal for the Lord caused him to do something uh, very unusual. Uh, he was caught up in it, but, but God blessed him for it. And there's a difference between that and wanting something for yourself using God. And I yeah. think that's what Satan is tempting Eve with. He's tempting Eve with this idea of you can, I mean, that's essentially what she's doing. She's using what God's made. He's the one that made the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Um, using God for her own deity to make her just like God. And I, I, I read something that Dr. Ruckman said, or actually someone wrote it down that he said, and I, I thought it was good. He said, if you want to follow Jesus Christ, your your ministry, your life is essentially going to follow the pattern that he took, mm. the pattern of, of training, uh, time of obscurity, and then a time of suffering and death. And and resurrection and that's that's going to be even here until we call it because christ also yeah. suffered for us leaving us an example that you should example. follow his steps yeah that's right and then but after and then after the resurrection after the fruit dies then the, uh, the corn of wheat dies then the fruit starts coming in hmm. but you yes. have to go through calvary first right except i remember hearing brother john uh john gray john gray missionary in new guinea preaching on that except the corn of wheat fall on the ground and die it abideth alone but if it die, it beareth much fruit. And so I guess let's let's wrap this up. I think we're just about an hour here. This has been great. But I'm thinking about um, what it was that, that Eve desired. Uh, she got the knowledge of, of evil. She already had the knowledge of good. But she saw it from God's perspective. And what did it mean? He that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. She She had sorrow multiplied unto her. And what she was seeking after, what she was, you know, tempted to get, to grab a hold of, came with a bitter aftertaste. And instead, if she had been like Mary and just sit with Jesus and hear his word, uh, that's the good part. Instead of being careful and troubled about many things, she could have just been receiving from the Lord directly. And uh, all the rest of that that Eve got, I think she would have traded back in a heartbeat once she saw the end result. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I was that was much wanted to mention that. I want to hit the wanted to hit the enlightenment enlightenment too. Of, because it's just fascinating to me. He says, "Your eyes shall be opened, knowing good and evil." Um, that's you, when you when your lights are or your eyes are open, you receive light. So there's mm. Eastern mysticism, but also enters on the stage of the enlightenment, like of the the the, the um, culture began to turn really secular. In uh, in Europe in the 18th century, in the so-called century of philosophy, hmm. where they they adopted a strictly rational approach to things, even though it's not perfectly rational because reason itself t teaches you not to rely on reason perfectly. But that's beside the point. And that those the philosophy of the Enlightenment philosophy 
of like approaching the Bible secularly as if it's any other book. Uh, that range of ideas that centered on reason as the primary source of authority and legitimacy, those ideas were being circulated mainly at scientific academies and literary salons and coffee houses and Masonic lodges, by the way. Mm-hmm. Those are the men that Paul describes as, you got to be careful of that. Intellectual Christians have to be careful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it says, he warns us that in the last days, people are going to be heady, you know, high-minded. That's knowledge stuff, you know. He mm-hmm. warned that of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning. They're, you know, that's Eve. He's, he says the women are particularly vulnerable to this, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Women are, by and large, to kind of, we mentioned that last time, they seem to, to gravitate towards knowledge to kind of make up a perceived weakness. And in that gravitation towards knowledge, you really have to be careful because the devil can be waiting for you, offering you some book, some YouTube channel, some advisor, right? Some counselor that's going to give you deeper knowledge when in reality, all you're getting is being, you're, you're being deceived. It's because today mm-hmm. they don't enter houses anymore physically. They can enter the houses remotely through the screen. Mm. You know, so, and so what did Eve get as a result of that? See, I mean, our night, we did become, have the received, we did receive the knowledge of good and evil, <laughs> emphasis on evil. So, um, the results of the forbidden knowledge is we knew shame and guilt for the first time. She got that. We lost the image and likeness of God. Uh, <clears throat> we changed fathers. We exchanged fathers, really, and became the children of disobedience and the children of wrath with the devil for a father. The ultimate consequence of losing God's image is bearing Satan's own image. We, we became child of hell. That's how the Bible describes us in Matthew 23, the Lord. We came under the spiritual power of Satan. We came under Satan's executive power of death. According to Hebrews 2.14, he has the power of death over us. Our soul fused with our flesh, to some extent died. Our body began to die and eventually died. We got eaten by worms. We became condemned. We became guilty. We became enemies of God. The wrath of God abode on us. We became destined to hell. Uh, we, be- we, you know, she- as I said, she- fear and shame. And we began to live by the sweat of our face in sorrow with thorns and thistles. We inherited a special hatred from Satan, the women. Uh, increased sorrow, increased conception. Uh, the woman is more dependent on the man th- than ever. Her desire towards her husband, largely unsatisfied most of the time. Physically driven out from the presence of God, spiritually separated from God. We've inherited the silence of God. Family trouble, strife, murder, death. What you get in the book, first books of Genesis, right? You have murder, death, prodigal loved ones, polygamy. Uh, we became abominable and filthy. We became desensitized to sin. Unjust, the Bible describes us as unjust, blind, lost, weak, without strength, ungodly, estranged from God. I mean, that's what we got. Mm. That, that, he didn't tell us about all that. I got the knowledge of good and evil, but there was something else that came with that deal. Mm. It, it cost us a lot more. Wow. And, 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 and it all was presented as um, your eyes will be opened. You will know more. You'll, you'll be like, wow, okay, I'm seeing the world in a whole new way and yeah you are and it's not a good way everything uh it's the next update you know this from your phone from your computer the next update is not necessarily an improvement sometimes yeah that's good it's 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 not a prog it's not progress it's actually regress but but you have to be careful because even satan himself is transformed into an angel of light he's not going to come as an angel of darkness He's going to say, you're going to know more. And I love that excellent, excellent point about the ladies trying to make up for perceived 
um, weakness. Uh, be careful, be careful because knowledge is something that um, makes manifest. Knowledge is something that, that it makes you more open and a better person, uh, but under God's authority, under God's authority. The Lord's trying to present us as a chaste virgin to Christ, but the devil's trying to deceive us through a subtlety and, and, and cause us to be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. And uh, what that means is we're going to have to be humble to the Lord. It's, you know, we, we think I'm going to be better, bigger, faster, stronger. No, in fact, as people follow the Lord, they get weaker. As they follow the Lord, they get more inept. Not that they, they don't try to do a good job. But you might look at that person, that preacher, and say, wow, what a stalwart champion of the Lord. You have no idea what's going through his head. You have no idea yep. what's going through his heart. And, and in fact, what you're seeing in him, if he's following God, you're seeing the grace of God, the power of God. When I am weak, then am I strong. And so what does that mean for our, our listeners? You're listening. You're, let's say you're a young man and you want to do something great for God. Probably the great thing you should do for God is staring you right in the face. Do it right now. Do it today. It's not going to bring you fame and notoriety. Do the best job you can with it. Because if you think you're going to get to a place where you don't have to clean up messes, where you don't have to do the nasty stuff, it'll be different stuff, but it's still going to be nasty and it's still going to be dirty. You're going to have to be a servant right now. Pick up pick up a towel. Gird yourself. Christ on, his, on the eve of his crucifixion took a towel and girded himself and washed his disciples' feet. And... Uh, he said, I've given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you right now. Start where not like Judas, you know, who, who wants to climb the ladder, but start with Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. Let people walk all over you. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Let people climb you. Let people <laughs> dress you down, whatever it might be. Just be Christ-like right where you are and learn what you can grow where you are and 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 stay humble before God. You can I can only amend all that. I want to mention two two uh last things. I know we're nearing the end, but I got to get this out especially <laughs> for the ladies uh who might be listening. <clears throat> There's um it's sad, you know, our knowledge of evil sometimes gives us insight to exactly what the devil was doing retrospectively. I think part of part of what the serpent was doing with Eve, especially with Eve considering that Satan is a male, um, it seems that Satan's burning desire to get Eve's eyes opened, right? He wants to convince her, you need to know this, you need to taste this. Uh, and that's, a, it seems to me, it's a very same kind of desire that burns in the hearts of perverse men who please themselves and rending the veil of innocency from a damsel. Um, you know, I mean, her eyes were opened, man, and she suffered. And, and she died and ditto every other young girl that's been deceived by a man of the world. Really what you have, you have the picture of an older man approaching mm. an innocent girl and open, widening her horizons, you know, and getting her to taste of the forbidden fruit. It's not, he's not getting just pleasure out of damning the human race. I think he's getting pleasure out of defiling innocence. He wants to get her eyes opened. He wants her to taste something. And mm -hmm. uh, we can talk another time about the sexual connotations of the sin because Paul alludes to them in the passage he quoted, talking about a chaste virgin. I want to present you to Christ as a chaste virgin. Don't be like Eve who was beguiled 
by the uh, by the devil, but he's talking in the context of in he's talking in the context of adultery and defilement. Um, so there's that, and the other thing is, and by the way, I want to say this: if if you've been defiled, and who hasn't, at least mentally, if you've been defiled, this is not a cause to let the shame destroy you, because if you lead, okay, we've all taken of the fruit, all of us, we're all the children of Adam and Eve, every last one of us. Otherwise, you don't need Jesus. But if you've got worldly sorrow about this, that's going to lead you to destruction like Judas Iscariot. You can still go to Lord Jesus Christ. God had a solution for that. I mean, yes, there were consequences in the practical life. They had to eat bread in the sweat of their face. They Eve experienced the sorrow of, you know, the separation blues, mommy blues and things like that. She experienced a hard life, but she had forgiveness. And she saved because there was a blood sacrifice offered. So it's not the end. Defilement is not the end of the story. And as I was saying last time, the Lord makes it a point that out of the very, the fact that you defiled a woman to bring in your, put in your evil paws on mankind, out of a woman, I will bring also the redemption and the solution, mm. which means God can still use you because he used Eve to bring Christ. I mean, Eve is in the line of Christ. So the very woman, God could have done it differently. So the very woman that, Eve, uh, the Satan defiled is the one that brought out Christ in the end. Mm. And so even if you've fallen in to That's the good. sexual advances of somebody and you lost your innocence, that very situation, the Lord can still use you to turn around and bruise Satan's head. Yes. And you do and, that by the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So yeah, there, please there, don't lose hope. Multiple women who had committed fornication, adultery in the line of Jesus Christ himself. And, yep. uh, and and so what does that mean? It means the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us from all sin. All sin, amen. In Christ, uh, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, there's a part of you that has never sinned and never will sin because it's Jesus Christ's righteousness. And so the devil wants you to focus on uh, where you failed. And I'm glad for one thing that, that Eve didn't just sit down and say, okay, well, I'm going to just put an end to my life i'm gonna stop um she's the she's the mother of all of us the great grandmother of all of us and she kept pressing on through the the bitterness and pain that she that she inflicted sure um, she got the the forgiveness from god she had to deal with relationship problems watch her first son get murdered um yeah uh, you know all of that and yet god gave her grace to continue to move forward yeah and, eve, eve is a good woman man she gets a bad rap and you we, we can We'll discuss it later on as, as we hit her examples of faith. But she, she, she was a woman of faith. She definitely. I got no no problem with Eve, man. I you know I got a problem with the devil. That's what I got a problem with. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And well, also that's awesome. She is. This could have its own podcast, but something to just throw out there, and you guys can have fun with it. Eve is the original Snow White. Hmm. All this when people say when we say that the stories are a ripoff from the Bible, she's the. She's basically, she takes the poison fruit, right? Mm -hmm. And she falls asleep, which is a picture of death in the Bible. Because that's the story of Snow White. And she mm. get, only gets awakened by a kiss of uh, the bridegroom. Lord Jesus Christ is the one that delivers her. She's also Alice in Wonderland. You've got all that stuff all through literature where a woman uh, gets transported or changed or altered by what she, what she eats. Mm. You know, she eats that. She goes down there. She eats something that makes her bigger. She eats something that makes her smaller. She goes down the rabbit hole. 
we essentially, that's exactly what happened to us. We ate a poisoned fruit that put us into a spiritual sleep. It altered our DNA. And we've gone down the rabbit hole, a hole ever since. Mm. We're being deceived and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to pull us off. But all those stories are just a ripoff of Genesis chapter three. It is the prototype for all literature. Anywhere you are, you cannot write something that doesn't go back to Gen to the first few chapters of Genesis. Mm. Man, that's, uh, that's really good. That's really good. I hope that as you're listening, I hope that you're taking notes and maybe you go back and, and find a few things because it is the seedbed of the Bible. There's so many things here that trace back and such simple language, such simple phraseology, and yet it transcends and it, it actually infiltrates, uh, every, it, it resonates in every area of life because it's the true origin of where we came from. Uh, so as you go forward, um, take some of these things in mind and um, try to stay away from the dark, the, the quote unquote uh, secret knowledge the devil has and just stay focused on the Lord and humble before God. God will bring you to where he wants you to go. Any final words, brother George, before we sign off? No, that's a good way to end it. Amen to all that. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us at witsendguys at gmail.com. Witsendguys. That's where we are. We're at Wits End, and I hope you'll join us as we discover the depths of Scripture uh, verse by verse. Having a great time. God bless you. We'll sign off and see you next time. Amen. God bless you guys.